Hello, everybody. I think we're live. Oh, let me go to the live chat so I can pull you guys up and you can tell me if you can hear me or not. I'm still, my throat's very scratchy, so I don't sound like myself, but just let me know if you can indeed hear me. Before we start, before we start. I'm good. Cause Engineer, good to see you. Can you hear me? Okay, perfect. Excellent. Okay, so, um, first of all, hello. Feels like it's been a while. Um, I'm, I have been, I don't know what has been going on, but I've been battling some sort of uh, throat flu thing, and um, I'm finally getting past the the fever, so I feel like um, myself again. Uh, I wanted to. Uh, a lot of people reached out and wanted to hear more about the um, the things that go along with prison and prison reform. Um, since that's near and dear to my heart, I figured that um, one day a week I would set aside and sort of go through the the various aspects of um, sort of what that entails. And um, I think that uh, f usually Friday's probably going to be that day. Um, tomorrow we, there's the guy from um, Iran that's going to be here, so uh, I'm just switching up those days. But usually this is probably going to be a Friday thing. Um, because there's a lot that goes into it and a lot of different moving pieces. And uh, I wanted to start out also tonight by saying that um, next Monday, the uh, the guys that do the vigilante... <laughs> the vigilante um, catfish to catch a predator people, um, they're going to be here on Monday. Um... I didn't realize that that was going to be such a a controversial topic, but uh, there are staunchly two camps, apparently, that are on both sides of this. There are the people that think that they aren't doing anything wrong by setting up these these predators, would-be predators, and um, confronting them, and then there's the group that thinks that that sort of erodes from justice and it is slop you know it could be sloppily done and um, I can see both sides of it but uh, I'm trying to get somebody that is from the side that it shouldn't be done so if um, you're interested in joining us on Monday and you don't feel like the vigilante to catch a predator is uh, is necessarily a good thing um, email me and let me know and we'll uh, we'll bring you on um, also uh, we're gonna be tackling veganism next week along with uh, climate change I've got an awesome lady that's coming to talk about um, she deals with population impact studies so she's gonna be talking about that and um, Arn will be with us so uh, it'll be a good week next week uh, okay um, also too if you didn't hear um, the other night um, well, well I'll go into that before we close. We'll go into that before we close. 
Okay. Let me pull up VMix and we'll get into this. So, the basically the way that I'm going to tackle this, um, like I said, usually this will be a Friday thing. But um, the, the way that I've got it mapped out is that we're going to go through the impact that first fines, fees, and like civil fortune have on people. Um, then we'll go into um, actual laws, what goes into uh, breaking them, the rights that you have once you're arrested, and the, the booking process. Um, we'll then go into the process once you're taken um, downtown to see a magistrate, what rights you have there, uh, bail and bonds, um, pre-sentencing things. Um, then we'll talk about the lead up to the court dates where you're hiring attorneys what all goes into that um, probation and parole if you receive an active sentence uh, the politics that go in with the Department of Corrections where you're sent um, how you you are processed and um, assigned depending on your, your camp and your your um, restriction level um, then we'll talk about the things that go into prison life, um, how companies are gouging prisoners with commissary, um, phone, uh, you know, other items that they have to purchase. Uh, we'll then go into the control aspect, which is the um, sort of the admin of prison. The uh, once you get out, what you, what you owe, um, what you're what you'll be expected to do, that sort of thing, and then the aftermath. So it'll probably be like a six-week um, thing. I plan on going really in depth into it. I was gonna do videos, like you know, standalone videos, but I'm a live streamer, so I'm just gonna stick to what I what I know. But um, when you leave, just to give you an idea, when you leave prison, you get one of these bright red envelopes and inside this envelope is your your PO contact information an identification card in case you don't have a license or an ID so that you can I don't know what places take literally computer paper but you know um, and then you get the rules that you have to abide by once you're out which is literally 20 pages long and um, I just want to sh highlight a couple of of these really quickly and then we'll we'll dive into the fines and fees but um, basically what this says is while you are on in between um, your rights being restored and being released um, you have to submit at all times to drug test searches of any kind whether it be you know if if you're with someone like let's say I'm with my mother and um, she gets pulled over because I'm in the car um, she's subject to have her her vehicle searched um, with you know no questions asked it's part of the um, the deal obviously you can't be around other felons or anyone um, with pending charges you have to be at home by 7 p.m. so so for a year 
Um, there was no no going out after seven, which was the the most excruciating aspect of it. But um, we'll dive into that more later as well. Um, so on the screen, I've got. Um, let me move Trump here. Let me close Trump out. So we'll uh, we'll be following along over here. Let me back up. We're following on. Um, you can follow along over here, obviously. And um, I'm just going to sort of go through why fines and fees. Uh, are usually targeted towards people who are in like poverty or um, they're 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 not in a good situation, and how they get caught up in the wheel that is criminal justice. So to start out, there is a um, there's a lot of states in this country. And I know of nine for certain where um, 20 to 40% of their revenue in the state <clears throat> comes from fines, fees, um, court, uh, court restitution, um, that sort of thing. And Missouri is probably the worst in the United States. Missouri is up to 60% of their state revenue hinges on the fact that they're getting this revenue in. And um, a lot of times you get a ticket in this this game that they do for, for revenue for very frivolous things. I'm not talking about the the fines and fees that come with you know um, any sort of traffic violations or drug offenses or um, serious crimes, theft, that sort of thing. Um, for example, um, in Arizona, you can be fined for spitting on a sidewalk. Colorado, you can be fined for um, having furniture outside of your house. I'm going to do Florida last, obviously, because Florida is the best. Um, Indiana, if you're caught sniffing glue for excitement, I don't. If you're gonna sniff glue, what other reason other than excitement, <laughs> other than excitement, would it be? Um, that was my biggest thing. But um, you can be you can be fined up to three hundred dollars for sniffing glue for excitement in Indiana, um, North Dakota. You can be fined up to eight hundred dollars for shooting off fireworks after eleven p.m. <clears throat> in Tennessee, you can be charged up to a grand. And this was passed in 2011 for sharing your Netflix password. Excuse me. Um, other laws that are not so state specific, but are covered in in many states, are like um, what they call decency laws. Like if your pants are sagging. Um, believe it or not, Missouri gets a um, a absolutely outrageous amount for this um, for having chipped paint in the exterior of your house if it can, if it's visible and they can say that it's an eyesore you can be fined for having chipped paint overgrown lawns for washing your car on the weekends um, that especially in California 
Um, Florida. Now we all know that Florida. Um, if if anybody's watching from Florida, bless your heart. But um, you guys are a special, special breed because I'm sh I, I am almost positive that this is not still a thing. And the language that I'm going to use here is the language that's in the actual law. So this is not me being politically incorrect or trying to offend anyone. This is just the the language that is used in the law um, that was <laughs> passed in 1989. Okay, in Florida, you can be fined up to a thousand dollars for throwing dwarfs. I kid you not. Dwarf throwing was banned in 1989. Now, interestingly enough, in 2011. <laughs> some state legislature tried to overturn that law saying quote the government shouldn't decide how people make a living so um, thank you Florida thank you Florida um, yeah I don't know what you say to that like what <laughs> Number one, why did they have to make a law that that banned? <laughs> I just need to stop. Okay, um, so let me find my place here. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, basically, these uh, these fines and fees obviously uh, can rack up, and if you're someone that is able to take care of these um, you've got a good lawyer great you know no problem the problem comes in when it's people who are um, in poverty and they receive these these fines and usually that's who it's targeted at and for a very specific reason that we're, we're going to get into here in just a minute but um, these laws are usually almost always targeted at people who are um, impoverished and what this does in a lot of cases there are a few exceptions in certain states but for the most part if you're somebody that is in poverty and you can't afford these fines you have to go to court to take care of these once you're in court the judge is going to um, give you the opportunity to pay it that day if you can't um, they'll set a deadline if you can't pay it by that time uh, there are a couple different things that that happen at that point you can either um, you'll either get more fees added on it'll go to the DMV which will suspend your license um, until those are paid off and you also incur DMV fees or you will get a jail sentence. Um, usually, it's uh, it, you know it's it's anywhere between a couple days to uh, sixty days, depending on the um, the infraction. And I'm basically just talking about infractions at this point. These are just these frivolous um, sort of things that um, you know. There's no victim. It's a uh, it's a a petty, a very petty um, crime, but it's pushed because the state has budgets they need to hit those budgets and they rely heavily on these revenue streams 
by getting it. It's predatory. So in a lot of cases, what winds up happening is that these fines go unpaid. In the states where it hits the DMV, the DMV, when they suspend your license because you have to pay the court before, and then you have to pay a restoration fee for your license, um, when that happens, that creates uh, another hell for these people because a lot of them, I'm not going to say a lot of them, oh, nearly everyone, and obviously there are exceptions, but nearly everyone relies on a car of some kind to get somewhere. Like You have to go somewhere, whether it be to work, um, you know, the doctor's office, to get groceries at some point. Um, for the most part, people use a car. In these cases, these uh, these people, whether they know their license is suspended or not, will be driving. They'll either go through a license point check, they'll get pulled over, something will happen, and then they will be in the predicament where they're driving while license suspended. Now, depending again on which state you're from, uh, you can either get cited and let go, or they will take you to jail for that which obviously compounds even more on the, um, you know, and, and all of this can be led from spitting on the sidewalk if you're from Arizona. Or um, there was, I was watching a video earlier, there was one lady that her her car, like her carport or garage, the outside of it was brick, like red brick, finished brick, you know, like you'd see in a, in a house. And she got a fine from the city because the city insisted that that should be painted it's brick it's it's like that's the look it's they can't tell you you know to paint um the brick obviously this is just a way to to throw a ticket at someone and um you have to deal with it you don't have a choice and so um all of this going to jail your license suspended um, it, it'll really fuck your world up, like very quickly, and all of this for stuff that may not even be your fault, like painting your garage, which is really, really stupid. Um, there was also another story of a a, a young gentleman. He was African American guy. I think he was uh, he was in his early twenties, but um, this happened to him. He got hit with that. Um, I want to say it was one of those indecency laws where he was like his pants were sagging or something like that, um, and and then something else. I can't remember what the other thing was, but uh, these things there were three tickets that sort of accumulated over a period of time. He didn't pay him, his license was suspended, and um, the the judge issued a warrant for his arrest. He was sent to jail. Now, these happened in two different counties, three different counties. So um, he was transported from one county to another, and um, he was talking to his dad. His dad had gotten take his dad had taken care of uh, two counties. It was the third one that he was still outstanding, and he still owed like eight hundred dollars in. And um, they transferred him to that third county, and. Uh, no one knows what happened while he was in um, this third county's uh, detention center. He was there for less than 24 hours and hung himself in his jail cell. 
and you know his mom and dad had to get that call all of this because of frivolous fines and fees that are targeted at uh, people who are, are who are below the poverty line um, and unnecessarily because the states need that money there is each state has a budget they need to hit they've allocated you know how much is going to come from which revenue source and not all states do this by the way but um, there are a lot that that rely heavily on these fines and um, and fees and number one just to speak to that this could be settled very easily where you wouldn't have to rely on other people paying fines and fees that are stupid that don't hurt anyone and only hurt people that they're being imposed on and that is to make marijuana legal nationwide and tax it and then tax the church if you uh, if you tax the church alone you would have enough money to cover anything that you needed expense-wise for the state but it's easier to um, to target people with no means I guess now I want to get into the ins and outs of mass incarceration because I think this is gonna blow blow your mind um, let's see the uh, the American criminal justice system currently holds about 2.3 million people in 1719 state prisons there are 109 federal prisons 1,772 juvenile correctional facilities, 3,163 local jails, and 80 Indian country jails, as well as in military prisons, immigration detention facilities, civil commitment centers, state psychiatric hospitals, and prisons in the United States territories. Um, what we're going to look at is um, a slideshow that was done very well, by the way, by the Prison Policy Initiative, and they've broken these things down just uh, beautifully um, but I think everyone already knows that the United States locks up more people per capita per capita excuse me than any other nation and uh, the staggering rate of 698 per 100,000 residents so here's what we're looking at in local jails what that looks like is 612 thousand people not convicted of a crime yet is nearly half a million people 462,000 only 150,000 have been convicted of that violent offenders make up 146,000 the rest nonviolent of that so you're looking at you know 500 and some thousand nonviolent jail wise um, let's see state prisons 1.3 million of that 712,000 are violent offenders and 
I am all for violent offenders staying where they are. This is when we talk about what we're talking about here. This is in no way talking about violent offenders. Um, property crime, uh, property crime violators are 2.3 or uh, 233. Excuse me, 200,000, 235,000. God, I cannot speak tonight. Um, getting tongue twisted. Uh, drug offenses are nearly 200,000, and then like public disorder. Uh, crimes, nuisance, that sort of thing is a little over 150,000. Um, on the on the side br branch that you see, where it kind of this little strip to the side, that's pulling out of the uh, the circle there, so that you can see in detail what those little parts are. That's um, juveniles up top, uh, territorial prisoners immigration and detention and involuntary commitment and then down below is Indian and military so those make up a very 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 small um, sort of percentage there so uh, in in the jails part what this does is just sort of break it down a little bit more in detail on who's in there for what um, drug crimes you're looking at trafficking, 43,000. Possession, 66,000. Other drug, 8,000. Uh, I'm trying to look for... Okay. The interesting one is up over, up over uh, public order. The first one that says parole, um, probation violations, 11,000. Um, that's usually and if you look at the other ones in that sort of category um, that's mainly what people wind up going to state prison for now in this uh, chart they're not convicted yet but a lot of people that are in prison for nonviolent offenses usually stem from even though their original charge may have been something to do with drugs or you know breaking and entering theft that sort of thing Somewhere along the line, they violated their probation or parole, and that's what's going to get them uh, sent over. So that just sort of breaks that down in detail a little bit more. Um, despite reforms, drug offenses are still a defining characteristic of the federal system. If you look at the, the these are these are federal. Uh, Prisoners, hold on one second. Got the wrong. Bear with me one second. Mm. Not the wrong one. Okay, maybe I didn't include this one. Okay, this one isn't in there. But um, basically, what this does is just break it down on the federal level um, between. Violent offenders um, and nonviolent, in the, on the federal level, violent offenders of the 221,000 inmates there are, only 13,000 are violent. Um, the overwhelming majority, which is nearly 90,000, are drugs. So that speaks to that. Now, um, this one right here is going to talk about 
the different agencies that make up uh, the prison system and different arresting agencies. That's not really relevant to what we're talking about here tonight, though. So, um, what is pre-trial uh, pre detention? Now, what this is, is a everything that we're going to be talking about tonight is an avenue stream that exploits people who are in poverty and uses them to either get them trapped in the system or to extort money out of them in ways you're not going to believe. So, pre-trial detention is one method that is used. Now, over uh, 540,000 people are locked up who haven't been convicted or sentenced yet. Now, why is that? Many of the detained in local jails because they can't afford to pay the bail amount um, set to secure their release. The median bail amount for, for felonies is 10000 which represents eight, eight months' income for a typical person detained because they can't pay bail. Now, pretrial detention is a way that the court, when you get arrested and you get taken down to the, the magistrate, the magistrate is going to set your bond depending on what your record's like and what the crime is. And you have three options, I believe, at your, I don't know if Carolina, you have three options at your disposal at that point. Actually, four. The first one is you can get a, um, I believe it's called a um, an ROI. Basically, you get you you, you return on your own accord. Um, you agree or you swear to show up to court. They'll let you sign yourself out. It doesn't cost anything. Um, usually, that's reserved for your first offense, and um, like if you have if you don't have a criminal record, um, the second method is to pay the bond outright if you can do that third is you can put up assets so if you have land uh, property that sort of thing you can put up assets against your bond the next thing is a bail bondsman or the bounty hunters um, you can call them to get you out. Usually what they do is they charge 10% of whatever your bond is. So if your bond is $10,000, then you pay them uh, you pay them 1000 they'll get you out. And basically you be you become their their responsibility until that first court date. And um, they don't play. I have um, the first time I was, uh, for anybody that's watching that don't know, um, I was arrested for um, cocaine, and that I think my my bond for that originally was, uh, I believe it was like twelve thousand. I can't be, I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, anyway, they came, they got me out. I had to sign a bunch of paperwork. They take pictures of you. Um, they they get your entire schedule. Uh, they want to know, you know, the day of the, the day that you go to court. You have to call them, let them know, so they can make sure that they know that you're going. Um, that sort of thing. And um, I didn't mess around with that. 
thankfully. Um, so I didn't have any issues there. But there are a lot of times where these uh, these bail bondsmen will cross the line in a way. Now I know that there's a lot of money at risk, and I'm not saying that this takes away from any responsibility for people who don't go to court. That's not what I'm saying at all. The issue comes into where the um, the, the bail bondsman decides to go Clint Eastwood. And there are a lot of bail bondsmen that are really good people, and they follow the law, and there's no issue. It's only these these select few that I'm talking about, but um, there have been instances where people have had their their families intimidated. Several instances of the dog getting shot because they roll up unannounced, and uh, uh, you know the barking dog goes running at them and. Um, the the dog is a uh, you know he's just in the way and they they, they kill the dog because they don't know if it's violent or not. A lot of things go bad, and the one of the big issues with um, bounty hunters. Let me pull this up. Is that they're they're very they're very 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 well protected by um, the law. And I'm going to try to pull up this thing here. Um, in in general, uh, bounty hunters have greater authority to rest than evil than even the local police. When the defendant signs the bail bond contract, they do something very important. They waive their constitutional rights. They agree that they can be arrested by the bail bonds agent and they waive extradition allowing bondsmen to take them to any state. All the bounty hunter needs to make an arrest is a copy of the bail piece, which is the paperwork indicating that the person is a fugitive, and in some states, a certified copy of the bond. Um, he or she does not need a warrant, can enter private property unannounced, and doesn't have to read a fugitive his or her Miranda rights before making the arrest. So those are three very crucial aspects to this. Number one, you sign your constitutional rights away. They don't have to read you rights, so you, there's no making aware of, of what rights you do have when you're caught. And they can enter private property without a warrant. So that's recipe for a lot of bad play to, to go down. Um, some states require that bounty hunters uh, be licensed. Other states require that um, bounty hunters register with them. Only a handful of states, Kentucky, Illinois, and Oregon, prohibit bounty hunters entirely from making uh, bail arrests. In these states, bounty hunters need to have a court order. Then the judge will usually order the local police to arrest the, uh, the fugitive. The one thing a bounty hunter can never do is take the hunt outside of the United States. Um, and obviously, these this is why these sort of shows are so entertaining to watch, like Dog the Bounty Hunter, uh, because you you literally have more authority than the the police. Do. I mean, you really do. You don't have to. Your hands aren't tied by the court. You can go kicking in um, doors and all kind of shit. Okay. 
I had one more thing that I wanted to pull up here about. Bounty hunters that I found I found was fascinating. I still have it. Uh, I think this might be it. Yeah. Okay. So once this loads, all right. So six percent of all felony defendants were fugitives, or twenty-five percent of those who failed to appear in court were fugitives, meaning they were subject to these sort of um, bounty hunter um, retracting their, their bond. Um, when it comes to getting uh, getting captured or found or, um, you know, if, if you're on the run and you think you're going to run from the bounty hunters, 97% get caught. So um, that is uh, nearly twice as much as police. Um, let's see if there's anything else interesting about bail bondsmen. Okay, so here are the rules. Okay. Actually, no, there's only six states in the United States where entrances to fugitive homes are regulated. So, in other words, if you don't live in California, Georgia, Missouri, New Jersey, Tennessee, Utah, Virginia, Washington, or West Virginia, then a bounty hunter can kick your door in and come on in anytime they please. Well, as long as you're under the, uh, the bond. Okay. I think that's it about bounty hunters. Yeah, basically the reason that they're that they're they're after you like the, they are though. On this is you know me going on to the other side here because I can totally see their side here. If your bond is a hundred thousand dollars and you gave them ten thousand to get you out, the court's still going to hit them for a hundred thousand if you don't show up because they've. You know they they've co-signed with you or they've signed your bond, so um, that's going to hurt them big time. And so they're going to make sure that you are found and they get that that money back. All right, let me go back to my okay. So this obviously is just talking about how uh, pretrial detention drives uh, jail growth. This, the each county jail, a lot of them are they get subsidies from the state or from the federal government. So for each head that they have in their uh, their detention facilities is more money for them. So obviously they're going to try to fill them. One of the major issues that's going on with jails and prisons now is that they're overcrowded. Um, okay. So, local jails. 
When talking about the social impact of jails, the average daily population of 612,000 is far less important than the staggering number, 10.6 million admitted to jails each year. So what does 10.6 million jail admissions look like? It's enough people to fill a line of prison buses bumper to bumper from New York City to San Francisco. So all the way across the entire country. That's how many people are admitted to jail every year, which is insane. Why are so many people detained in jails before trial? They're not wealthy enough to avoid um, bail. So median annual uh, pre-incarceration income in 2015 for people ages 23 to 39 in local jails who were unable to post a bail bond compared to um, incomes of same age non-incarcerated people by gender. So orange is men, yellow is women. Um, if you're detained pre-trial, for people who are detained pre-trial, their meet their uh, their median um, income is fifteen thousand five hundred ninety eight dollars. For non incarcerated people, it's over twice that. So they're making over twice that, and that's going to reflect that obviously people with more money can bail out of of prison. Now the uh, so the question is why are so many people locked up in the first place? How many are incarcerated for drug offenses? Are the profit motives of private companies driving incar- incarceration, uh, or is this really about public safety and keeping dangerous people off the streets? Hint: It's not that one. Um, there are myths that this um, presentation lays out that I think are good. Um, about mass incarceration. Um, the first myth is releasing nonviolent drug offenders would end mass incarceration. That's obviously not true. Um, it's true that police, prosecutors, and, and judges continue to, to punish people harshly for nothing more than drug possession. Um, drug offenses still account for the incarceration of almost half a million uh, people nationally. Um, there's also a, and I think that I did include this one. Let me see if I, if I did. Maybe I didn't. Okay. Um, I can just read it to you. That's fine. So, there's a uh, there's a, a, a there was study done, and this is the cost of incarceration versus the cost of prevention in terms of dealing with people either from broken homes or people struggling with um, drug addiction. So for sixty two thousand three hundred dollars, you could incarcerate for a year. Keep that in mind. You could incarcerate one adult, or 
you could use that 62,300 to send nine adults to drug treatment and 15 kids to preschool all for that same price for um, putting in prison for a year one adult for 233,000 a year that's the average cost per youth per juvenile you could send 789 kids to space camp or sponsor 155 youth jobs 100 million can fund 50 youth centers 500 uh, intervention workers and 25,000 youth jobs which is the equivalent of uh, I can't do math that quick. Somebody that can do math that quick. If it's uh if it's $63,000 a year to incarcerate one adult. Uh, how many would it take to reach 100 million? And basically what you're going to have then is uh, you know a a handful of people versus 50 youth centers, 500 intervention centers. And you know those are just that's just arbitrary examples of things that you can do with it, but I thought that was pretty uh, that was pretty scary to think about that you can do all that with the same money that we're spending to incarcerate one adult. And actually I have the I have the totals right here for that very thing. So if you if you look at this chart here this is going to show you the latest averages of let's see. that's going to be this one so this is from my state of North Carolina and this is the the latest sort of um, like they give a fact sheet out every year talking about the the prison population and it breaks down like demographics and what they're in there for that sort of thing so on this on this demographic here I need to find One second, folks. Here we go. Okay, so the average cost in North Carolina for uh, per day for someone that's on probation or parole is five dollars for officer supervision. Now that's per day for people who are on probation or parole. The cost uh per day per prisoner who is incarcerated if you're in what's called close custody which is um you're you know you're a violent offender you have a long sentence um you have disciplinary issues uh, that sort of thing uh, it's 115 dollars a day medium custody 
uh, which is your, um, you know, your seasoned criminals. They've been caught many times. That um, was called medium custody. Ninety-eight dollars a day, minimum custody, which is what I was in. Uh, Eighty-five dollars and eighteen cent a day. So, if let me pull up my calculator real quick. 85, I was in prison 369 days. So when I left, if I were to leave um, prison today, it wasn't quite this high when I left, but if I were to leave prison today, having stayed 369 days, I would leave with a bill of $31,365 that I would have a set period of time that I have to pay back. Um, now, there are a lot of cases where you can file for relief, get that sort of thing, um, you know, get extensions, get waivers, uh, that sort of thing. But that's outrageous for the cost of housing a person per day when. I mean, we're going to get into this. There's so much, like I said, there, there, there's so much to the, the prison system that it's it's just really hard to sort of keep things in separate boxes because it's all interlinked. But the amount that the prison system makes in terms of the phone scam that goes on, the price jacks with commissary... Um, you have to, um, for when you get there, I'll just tell you this now, when, when you get there, you get a standard issue set of, of clothes, right? And shoes. And they look like, um, they look like, uh, Chuck Taylors. That's what the shoes look like. But they are literally almost like a somebody cut out the, the a shoe outline in plywood and just sort of stapled some you know canvas over top of it there is the the soles of those things are literally almost wood and in fact I'm I'm almost positive they're wood they are the most uncomfortable they give they will give you blisters they're they're awful however the state the state knows this because if they didn't and if or if they thought that there was you know everything was okay they wouldn't offer this other option you can also pay $150 and get you a pair of um Nike New Balances and i'm talking i'm talking like from the 19 from year 1991 New Balances, like these are not, you know, these are these are not fashionable New Balances. These are those like old school news balance, New Balances. But you can pay one hundred and fifty dollars for them, and the state will allow you to have a pair of those. Now, if there wasn't something, a kickback or a deal, or if they didn't get a percentage of that 
$150 that these throwback New Balances uh, cost. I don't think they would be offering them that. I don't think that they would be making those standard issue shoes literally the most horrible things to ever walk around in. Literally. Um, but they do all that on purpose because it drives sales. Another thing is people take for granted music uh, or like talk radio, which is so important when you're in when you're in prison. Like the ability to be able to just sit back or lay back or walk around and escape from that environment that you're in. I did that with with music, and um, so you can buy a radio. I wish I had something. I thought I still might have it, but I don't know if it's close. Anyway, um, they sell these. It's about this big. It's see-through. It's clear. It's cheap. I mean, it's like you would probably go to the the drugstore, CVS or Walgreens, and pay four or five dollars for one of these kind of radios. Just an AM, FM no bells and whistles radio right $50 $50 for this radio everything in prison is jacked to the limit and they are rolling in the money there's also a thing that they do for holidays called packages. And basically what packages are is they send you a, uh, a little pamphlet. And these packages have all these different food items that you could, like, that you could want. Because you haven't had them, you know, since you've been locked up. You know, um, there's like, oh man, there's every single kind of chip flavor that you could imagine um, hot chocolate uh, candy like Skittles Warheads um, Sour Patch Kids, Raisinets I um, I like Raisinets were my thing so when I saw this on the list I literally like I mean the, the, the feeling was indescribable, it sounds stupid now but um, you wouldn't believe how seeing Raisinets on a order form can transform your entire week when you're in there um but all kind of stuff like uh just different food items that you could get that you were never going to get any other opportunity to get um the catch was these packages were set prices so for instance you could start at a 200 tier 400 tier etc and you had to spend that much you know you had to hit that certain amount and basically you would fill it out and then you would send it home to you know your family or whoever was gonna um, pay for it and you would put down what you wanted and then they would go through and then they would order it based on what they could do and then you would get your your package but nothing in that package that came would come anywhere close to being worth the price that you paid for it. You're paying for the 
for missing out on it. You're paying for it not being a for taking it for granted. You know, when you had the freedom to go get it, basically. That's what I, you know, I called it a freedom tax. Um, freedom tax was everywhere in in prison. Um, they also would set up um, different, like you know, once a month they would have like a a, a pizza sale or um, a one one month they did like a KFC um, sale where you, you pay twenty bucks and you get two pieces of pizza, or you pay twenty bucks and you get uh, the five dollar um, meal meal deal that you can get it at KFC. Literally, that's what they would. Um, you know, you you were paying for administrative fees and the cost that it was to go get it and um, and that sort of thing. Like you, you paid over top for everything. And these are, in a lot of instances, people who already can't afford it because they're already in you know in debt to the the government up to, up to their eyeballs. They're working 12 hours a day. They're making at most, I know in North Carolina anyway, at most you can make is a dollar a day. So one dollar a day you get for, uh, and, and a lot of these guys have back-breaking jobs. Like the road crews that you see where, that stand outside all day in the middle of the heat uh, in that, you know, that asphalt and the 100-degree weather, dollar a day. Dollar a day for that. Or uh, those the the guys that go along and clean up the sides of the road. Um, our particular my particular unit had an outside laundry service that did laundry for all the area hospitals. There were three area hospitals, so all the linens, all the you know the sheets from hospital beds, um, all of that stuff came to the uh, the laundry facility at the the prison and they would spend nine hours 10 hours 11 hours a day doing laundry like you would see you know on an industrial scale from um you know an, an old movie where there's the big vats and they're you know it's it was intense but they do that every day there's not a day off uh, at prison it's it's an everyday thing all the jobs well, most of the jobs are every day. Not all of them, but um, you know, food people who work food service every day. Uh, people who work the uh, the janitorial services every day. People who work the um, the grounds crew every day. And the majority you can make a week working every day is seven bucks. Oddly enough, seven bucks will give you one minute to call home to your family. That's the sad state of things with the legal system. And in these personal stories that I'm telling you, this is just from North Carolina. It's different every state, every county, every city um, because there are so many different types of prisons. There are for-profit prisons. There are federal prisons. There are state prisons. Um, there are um, hospitals 
where you're still locked down but you're mandated to go um, but all of these different avenues are sticking it to people that don't really have much of a chance anyway you know they're obviously already in debt that's they couldn't pay their fines that's why they wound up in prison now that they're in prison they're accruing uh, nearly a hundred bucks a day just being there they're making a dollar a day max that's top there are some guys that I knew that were getting 15 cent a day 15 cent mainly people who worked in the uh, the clothes house people who were folding um, the 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 uniforms and stuff for the the prison 15 cent a day how do you expect these people to make it how does anyone expect these people to climb out of that hole number one when they get out they've already got a felony or a misdemeanor attached to their name and 65% of people who own businesses say that they would be very weary of hiring someone with a criminal record well what if your crime originally was that your pants were sagging or you spit on a sidewalk or you threw a dwarf does that justify in any means by any stretch of the imagination that your life should be ruined because that follows you that will affect your ability to vote your ability to carry a firearm your ability to be in um, the area with other people who have felonies or misdemeanors depending on your um, release conditions these stupid fines literally fuck people's lives up and people don't seem to for whatever reason pay that any mind and that's sort of what my goal here is to try to fix because if we take it piece by piece I think we can draw some attention to it so technical violations are the main reasons like I said earlier for people uh, being incarcerated people going from probation to incarceration and you can see on the, in that first side over there a new sentence 64,000 same sentence meaning no new offense 98,000 the other side people going from parole to incarceration the majority 70,000 was due to a revocation meaning no new sentence so basically what this is showing you is that if you're charged with something state me for example I'm charged I'm, I'm charged with um, possession of cocaine okay 
I have all these terms that I, need, I have to commit to while I'm on probation or parole. So there are many different factors that can violate me. One of those is if I catch a new sentence while on probation or parole. Usually that's an automatic violation. So for my if I'm on probation for possession of cocaine, 64,000 cases of people or excuse me. So I'm on um, I'm on probation for cocaine. If I commit a new offense, let's say I'm caught with a joint, right? People like me in that case would total about 64,000 cases. Now, me being charged with, um, or me being on probation for uh, possession of cocaine and absconding, meaning I don't contact my probation officer, um, I am not where I said I was going to be, I fail a drug test, I, um, I'm, at, I'm out after curfew, all of those technical aspects to that original charge, the possession of cocaine. That is nearly 100,000 cases. So the vast majority of people get sent to prison not for catching a new crime, but for a technical violation on that original crime. So, like, if my probation officer came by, I never went to the door, or he called, I never answered, eventually he would violate me. He could also do that for not paying the supervising fees. Or if I owe any outstanding court costs, restitution, um, child support, any of that and failure to pay could violate me and send me um, send me back. Now, um, this next chart contrary to myth people incarcerated for violent offenses and released are least likely to be arrested again this is an interesting um, stat here so this takes into account four categories drug offenders public order offenders property offenders which is like theft and burglary and then violent offenders okay and this is showing the stats for people who are rearrested for similar offenses within three years of release from prison nearly half or, or a little bit over half of people who go to um, prison for drug related offenses will be rearrested half with public order 45% with property and only 25% with violent uh, offenses put that in there because I thought that was very um, that was very interesting um, okay let's see although it does say it does say right here <laughs> what okay maybe you'll share my surprise that they even put this in here but I'll read it and you can tell me what you think 
people convicted of sexual assault and homicide are actually among the least likely to reoffend after release. People convicted of homicide are the least likely to be rearrested. Um, isn't that obvious? Like, if you kill someone, obviously you, I think, more times than not, you felt like you had a reason to, and if they're dead, why would you reoffend? That's just odd. Um, okay. One second. Now that's going through the youth. We'll get to the youth. It's immigration. Psychiatric. Okay. All right. So this, right, this, uh, this graph right here is going to show you the overall picture of the criminal justice system and correction control. Of everyone that is in the Department of Corrections across the United States, probation makes up the overwhelming majority. And that's by design, and that's on purpose, and no, that's not better than uh, going to prison in many cases. Sometimes it is, and most people want to avoid going to prison, but probation is literally a it's a vampire. Like it it bites into your neck and it just sucks you dry for as long as it can or until you fuck up and then it's waiting for you to kick you on down the road. Um The, the data in these charts makes it clear that um, ending the war on drugs will do a go in a large step to clearing up some of this mess that we have. Um, but you have to look at the entire picture into where people are going to really see the, the full scale of this. Uh, some questions that this the people who put this graph together ask are um, are state officials and prosecutors willing to rethink not just long sentences for drug offenses but the reflexive simplistic policy making that has served to increase incarceration for violent offenses as well now what that the reason that I asked that is because there is a just a stupid and tragic and uh, criminal actually set of laws that we follow when it comes to sentencing and how we tie our judges hands um, I'm gonna do an entire one of these segments on this but just to sort of give you a um, an overview mandatory uh, minimum sentencing is in large part to do of the mess that we're in 
So I'll give you an example. Uh, I believe it was in Missouri. I could be wrong, and, and correct me if I am, but there was a teacher. She was a um, she was a she was a younger lady. Um, she was teaching. I forget what grade, but the the boy in question was fourteen, and this teacher was arrested on charges of uh, sexually assaulting a child. And what happened was that the teacher let the 14-year-old touch her breast. Was it appropriate? Absolutely not. Distasteful? Absolutely. Disgusting? Absolutely. You know, what person in a trusted role of an educator would think that was a good idea by any means. Um, this is not a a defense of her for for what she did and how she handled the situation. However, I will defend against what ultimately happened to her because with the charge that she was convicted of, found guilty of, there was only one one path the jury could, you know, one option the jury had, they could find her guilty, not guilty, which was the sexual assault. She was found guilty, and the judge was mandated, didn't have a choice, because of the way that the laws are set up, if you get con you know, convicted of, of X, you receive automatically Y sentence. Period. And that goes... With, along with many different laws, and depending on which state you're in, it's different. But um, if if you get convicted of certain crime, there is a mandatory maximum and minimum sentence that goes along with that. Period. No workarounds. Judge can't work outside those 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 bounds. She got life in prison. Life in prison for a 14-year-old touching her breast. Now, there is no scenario where that makes any sense whatsoever. And the problem is that the laws are such that it doesn't allow for these sort of cases, these sort of instances. The sexual assault, I'm sure when the lawmakers were making these mandatory minimums and you know setting the, the, the sentences with them, you're thinking sexual assault, you know a, you know a, a adult is going to force themselves, on a child and emotionally and physically scar them for life. But because we have tied the hands of the judges and they can't, you know, they, they, they can't work around this, they can't overrule this, this is the way that it is, people like her get caught up into it on an instance that is outside the norm still not appropriate still should be 
a pretty stiff punishment for her, but she should not go to prison for life for that instance. There's just no world in which that's correct. So, these have to be... I don't know how they, they still haven't been gotten rid of, but they need to be getting, like, reevaluated, looked at. And this is just such a mess. Like, the legal system, and this is why it, it's, it never, nothing ever happens to it, because we've created this monster. Everyone's used to the way it works. No one wants to rock the boat. There's too many different moving pieces. If you disrupt one, it's going to send shockwaves down others. The legal system moves slow anyway, so it's going to be a constant back and forth. So literally, you have all of these people on both sides, Republican, Democrat, Independent, uh, doesn't matter what you are, everyone understands the need for prison reform. But no one is doing anything about it. No one. It gets talked about every year. It gets brought up. It gets asked. But election time is the only time that you hear about it. When outside of that do you hear discussions going on about it? Or, you know, a, a bill's going through. We're more concerned about locking up women for having the right to choose what to do with their own bodies in other states. <laughs> it's just, it's outrageous. It's outrageous. Okay, I'm going to start wrapping up here because I just looked at the time. I didn't realize how time got away from me. We'll have to do civil forfeitures um, next time, which I'll give you a little rundown of those. Civil for forfeitures are yet another way that the state makes money. And basically what that means is if my grand my grandpa didn't trust a bank, let's say he kept $10,000 under his mattress and he passed away. We're clearing out his house. There's the money where he said he left it for me. I box it up in a box or wherever you would put $10,000 worth of cash. Throw it in the car with um, a few other belongings and then I'm heading down the road. And I get pulled over. And cop comes around and asks me if he can uh, search my vehicle for whatever reason. And let's say I'm not being a dick that day. I know there's nothing in the in the car, so I oblige and say, sure, go ahead. Well, he looks through the car, finds the bag with 10 grand in it, and then comes and asks me about it. So, what you got 10 grand worth of cash for? Grandpa passed away. 
left it to me, didn't trust banks, taking it home. What you really doing with ten grand? That's what happened. See, I think I think you got ten grand because you're about to go buy a hell of a lot of drugs. You sure that ain't what you're gonna do? Anyway, you get the point. Basically, the cop can walk away with my ten grand because he has a suspicion that it's gonna be used in the during the course of a crime. And it will be taken down to the city and held, and I will then have to hire an attorney or represent myself and prove my intentions for that money, where I got that money, all that stuff, before it's given back to me. When it is given back to you, obviously you're going to get a fine for or a holding fee or something from the city but just the suspicion of one stupid idiot that pulls you over and has a bad night and sees a bunch of cash and is jaded and thinks that oh well if you have that much cash then obviously you're a drug kingpin can take that money and if you don't do what it takes to get a judge to agree with you that that's what you were going to do with the money or that's where the money came from it's the cities and that goes with along with your house your car if your if if the judge didn't believe that 10 grand was mine and that I was going to use my car in the course to take that 10 grand to go get you know a couple kilos of coke they would come take my car become property of the, uh, the state and it gets way 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 more sinister than that that's just a rough overview but my entire point of this is to point out that in any of these instances these practices are predatory they're dishonest they ruin lives they create untold amount of difficulties harm for people who are already struggling in bad situations and these sort of things need to be brought to light and rectified I firmly believe that we set up a prison system I'll say this in closing that we set up a prison system not designed to rehabilitate but designed to warehouse and squeeze dry every dime nickel and penny that we can get out of people that either make a mistake take a wrong turn fuck up decide to party a little bit do some drugs wear their pants low have their grass higher than it should be uh, not give a fuck about chipped paint 
we allow these sort of minor instances to be tacked onto someone that doesn't have the means to pay for it, already struggling, and they just get pushed into that machine. And once that machine's got them, it starts charging them for every little thing. Every day they're in jail. Every day that they're on probation. Uh, every move they make. Court costs. Clerk of court costs. State costs. Administrative fees. Can't pay that? Oh. Back to the machine. Keeps accruing. Spit you back out again. Can you pay it this time? Well, I can try. Well, they can't get a job. They've lost their rights. Bare arms, voting. They've got um, a criminal history now, so that's going to be even more difficult to get a job. They don't have a car, most likely, because the DMV suspended their license. Or they can't drive a car because the DMV suspended their license due to failure uh, to pay these fines and fees. How do they get ahead? How do they get one foot in front of the other? How do they begin to climb out of that hole? Because there's certainly no one throwing a rope down to them. They don't. They get stuck. And what happens uh, usually in these cases are that people who were rounded up on drug offenses, you know, selling, distributing, they go right back to that. Not because they want to. Because it's the only thing they know. And in a lot of cases, it's now become their only option. They know they have to have a certain set of funds at a certain location at a, by a certain time or their freedom's going to get taken away again. They can't get a job. They can't drive to their job if they got one. So they fall back on the only thing that they know in a lot of cases. Doesn't make it right on their part because it's, it's not. Because the same can be said about people who steal or, um, you know, that sort of thing. You know, people go around, get desperate. They steal things just so they can have that money to not go back. People get desperate. And so, um, next Friday, we'll talk about, um, talk about civil forfeiture and then what rights that you do have. Just um, see. Yeah. So, um, I'll finish up tonight. By, um, someone asked me, and I believe that this person, when they sent their email, I could tell that they had they had been locked up before too because they used some very specific terminology but they wanted to know um, what my hustle was 
when I was in when I was in prison. So I figured I would tell you I'll wrap up with a, a little personal story. Um, that's a true thing. Most of the time, everybody in prison has a hustle or something that they they do something that they're good at something that they can offer someone uh, so if somebody needs something uh, you know something drawn something you know legal drafted up letters written um, a lot a lot of people in there can't read or write so many people ask you to write letters to their loved ones read you know that sort of thing uh, basically, everybody's got something that they can contribute to someone that someone will need along the um, the way. So, my job there, once you get classified, is they assign you. They'll assign you to different camps around the state. Everybody goes into a processing camp. Uh, I went into Noose Correctional which um, is the processing camp here in North Carolina. Everybody goes to Noose. Doesn't matter if you're a murderer or, you know, you spit on a sidewalk. Everybody in the prison system goes to Noose first for two weeks. They analyze you. You take tests. They decide where you're going to be assigned to, what risk threat you are, and then you're sent on your way to where whichever permanent prison that you're going to go to. Um, Nooses was awful. It's, more, it's the it's the obviously because there's so many pe different people coming in with so many different like risk levels. But I never got the pleasure to leave. I had to stay my entire sentence there because uh, when I came through, their warehouse guy had just left, and so they needed me to fill that position. So I had to stay at this hellhole for my entire sentence because that's where I was going to get my job assigned. Uh, funny thing, when you are in jail and you're waiting to go to prison after you've been sentenced, usually it's about two weeks-ish. But they don't tell you when they're coming to get you. They don't tell you what time. They don't tell you what day you're leaving. Um, they come in the middle of the night and they tap you on your bunk and tell you to pack up and you have to do it quietly and you can't talk to anyone you can't say goodbye none of that stuff can't pass stuff off you pack your stuff and you're marched out and then you're put on a bus and that bus goes to s several different points and you switch buses and you switch buses again and uh, usually about 12 hours later you arrive at your destination uh, and they do that for security reasons just in case you know your family or friends or whatever are planning on breaking you out uh, they don't make it easy if if you had anybody that was planning to do that so they're shuffling you all over the place uh, in the meantime so uh, anyway my job was the warehouse which was where all of the food 
that was extra all the you know all the good stuff all the good drinks chips candy sandwiches ice cream that sort of thing came in to me now what's interesting here is that all of that stock gets put in my sort of uh, my warehouse office area I'm the only one with a key to the lock to this room another guard can't have a key another inmate can't have a key no one on the compound will have a key to that place but me and they do that because every month you have to be accountable for everything in that room so they know how much is there or supposed to be there and then they'll go in and count everything with you and if you're short you get a grace you get like a, a, a grace area that you can be short but if you're any shorter than that then you get charged with theft you get an extra you, you, a street charge you know they'll they'll take you down to the courthouse and arrest you for for theft of and whatever amounts missing from there so uh, just to make sure that no guards can harbor any grudges against you and go in there and eat stuff and then you get blamed for it you're the only one that can have a key to that little room you're the only one that can go in there except for inventory days no other uh, guards no other inmates can go in there nothing you have that entire place to your yourself and um, obviously no one would use that area you know in case it needed to be like a, a cover or to hide things that might be frowned upon in the meantime no one would do that so if you're thinking about that don't even um, but my sort of thing what, what I learned to do there was people would come in usually on Thursdays and give me a list and I always went from like the the, the gang heads of the gangs first the high-ranking people they would give me a list of the things that they wanted and to make sure that they got and I would go in separate all that stuff out like a little goodie bag uh, click their cards and then they would give me a certain you know a dollar amount for doing that to click off their cards now I would also use items you know for whatever to cover you know borrowing something else or anyway it's always it's always like a, a give and take a debt and you know pay the debt back sort of thing but um what I wound up doing was putting out, like if somebody was short that week or they didn't have enough money that week, I would cover them whatever they wanted. To return, they had to pay whatever the item was double back. So if they got a honey bun, they gave two honey buns back. And if they didn't give back, then they didn't get anything until they did because I was in control of that stuff. So I never had an issue with getting the double back. So I wound up having an additional almost store in terms of like items 
had accrued so much, you know, like that literally, it, and that's currency there. Like you pay for that and everything. People, like cigarettes were the big thing. You know, like you could, you could, you would pay ten bucks sometimes for one cigarette, and so you would pay that ten bucks in the equivalent of food items. So after a while, I was like Scarface. I had <laughs> I had locker fulls full of food. They could just dole it out for um, for whatever. It's it's weird to it's weird to hear myself talk about this stuff like out loud because now it just sounds so so weird and like it wasn't a real thing. But if you've never been, you can't understand the the sort of microcosm of society that that prison is because. It's, it's just so strange looking back. There was, <laughs> I'll get into some more stories some, uh, as as we go along in this thing. But um, yeah, it was it was a very strange strange time. Let me make sure that I've covered everything. Okay. Sorry, too, that I haven't been following along with you guys in the chat. I've been having to pay attention to these slides. Let me pull up some chats real quick. Okay. Um, you had... Uh, Roderick says, can't listen in the studio, recording one of the podcasts, but I'm in the chat. Take my money and visit verygoodpodcast.com slash rnrawpod. Love you all. Um, yes, and uh, remember, Arn will be with us next week, so tune in for that. He would, uh, he would be thrilled to hear how you market uh, that podcast. I think he would be thrilled to hear that. Uh, RJ, the best bounty hunters lived aboard the Bebop. I'm afraid I don't get that reference, RJ. You might have to help me out with that one. <laughs> um, Min says, uh, I've been a citizen for 11 years and have, have no idea that prison in the most powerful country on the planet can be this bad. I want to hug you badly. Um, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, it is bad. And it's it's it's... This is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, you know, we uh, we haven't even gotten into the the plea deals, uh, the uh, you know the the sentencing, the the dynamics when it comes to prison life, um, what your rights are and, and what rights you you lose, uh, the control in terms of when you actually get to to prison because when you're there um, you're at the mercy of the guards mood that day and uh, they can do all sorts of things to just make your life hell from you know work assignment duties uh, write-ups which can add more days onto your sentence um, for working one thing you in addition to your awesome salary one thing you do get is uh, Usually it's a half day 
or a quarter day, depending on where your job is, but you accrue days for you know each day that you work, and that comes off of the end of your sentence. So if you get sentenced for two years, every day you work, you're, or every three days you work, you get a day off that sentence, and you just keep working it back until you know present day meets wherever you are in that that sequence. Um, but they can take those away from you. And you can get written up for talking back to someone, whether, you know, and that's, that's subjective. But you can get written up for that, and they can take every day that you've worked for away. Poof. Gone. If you've worked up 100 days off your sentence, and you piss a guard off, and the board the disciplinary board is in a bad mood too or they don't like you either poof gone 100 more days added on to your sentence and if you make a big deal about it they'll tack on more so um and then there's the solitary confinement part that's the one that i'm the most passionate about um I think solitary confinement is disgraceful. It's cruel and unusual. It's um, it messes people up. I have seen it. I have seen people go in for um, a, a week, two weeks, three weeks, and come out, and they are a shell of who they used to be, or they're not them at all. It just drives them to the point of breaking um, there's there's just so many different things we also got <laughs> in my year that I was there um, I actually I spent time in solitary confinement I also was in the wrapped up in the middle of a medical quarantine my entire dorm of 60 people was shut down for two weeks couldn't leave couldn't go outside nothing all the meals and stuff were brought to the the dorm and passed through uh, a, a window by a guard like they they zipped the place up like it was um the walking dead uh, because <laughs> i don't know what it was that was going around they think it was mold or something but some people they would get up to go eat breakfast, and as soon as their feet hit the floor, they fell right back over. And I think it was three people fell out one day in in my dorm, and so they locked that they locked that bitch down. And for two weeks, we weren't going anywhere, nowhere. And it was misery, misery. I never want to do that again. Um, I was also. Um, well, I wasn't technically there, but the day after I left, there was a riot at the prison that I was at. I like to think it was because they missed me. I can't confirm that, but nonetheless, uh, it, it made the news. You can YouTube uh, News Correctional Institution Riot. They set a couple buildings on fire, um, held a guard hostage. Uh, it, was a, it was a big ordeal, but... Thankfully, I wasn't there for that. And they actually shut the prison down for like six months after that. They shipped everybody out. 
once they got the place under control, they shipped everybody out. I don't know why, what purpose that served, but uh, anyway, I'll get into all that. Um, and then uh, Matthias11841 left a super chat with no message, so thank you. Um, tomorrow we will be joined by a gentleman that is in Iran to talk about what's going on over there along with um, a couple of other Middle Eastern countries. Um, he's been, I've been looking forward to him coming on for quite a while actually, but it's very, very, very fortunate that he's coming now in the midst of all of this shit that's going on with Iran. So that will be tomorrow at 9 p.m. Uh, Saturday at 4, we will have a Patreon hangout. Um, we will be discussing the Operation St. Click thing that we're going to be doing and how you guys are going to be picking the winners for um, that. And we're also going to be doing something I'm excited about. Pretty exciting. Just to get a breath of fresh air and the, the mojo going again. So that will be Saturday at 4. Make sure you join that. You can get the link off of Discord or uh, Patreon. And um, then John and I will be back Saturday night. And then Jimmy and I on Sunday. And then uh, back here with Katie on Monday. So I'll be here tomorrow at 9. Hope you will be. Love you guys. And we'll see you then. Now... I remember to put the end screen card up. We're getting it.